Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to another episode, another podcast of uh, mindfulness involving fishing without bait. It's a concept, many of you may wonder, what is fishing without bait? Well, it's a concept that uh, was developed uh, by myself and along with a uh, my good friend and producer, Mr. Mike, who's uh, with me as always this evening. So perhaps uh, you could explain to everyone out there what's your conception of fishing without bait. You give me far too much credit for conceptualizing fishing without bait as all out of your head. Well, uh, you're 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 the cauldron in which this was was right, right. Okay. So, uh, Mike, let's uh, let's review again the, the definition of mindfulness. Surely. So, John Kabat-Zinn uh, basically said it's paying attention on purpose. Uh, Doctor Russ Harris uh, says that it's a it's a mental state of awareness, focus, and openness which allows you to engage fully in what you are doing at any present moment. And with Jim Ellermeyer's uh, definition of mindfulness is being right here and being right now. That's, that's, our, that's our conception of mindfulness, being right here and being right now. So as we discussed in our last podcast, Mike, we, we viewed uh, mindfulness through the lens of uh, Jesus the Christ. Uh, in in the Christian Bible, and we do have to keep in mind that uh, that Christ was not Jesus's last name. No, okay, no, we no. we definitely want it, to keep that. It is not the same as Smith. Mm-hmm. So the mindfulness perspective, as it comes from God, from the perspective of Jesus. Uh, so what we're going to talk a little bit about tonight, we're going to talk about another faith that is is engaged and entwined and enmeshed in mindfulness practices. So what we're going to do is talk about this evening, This in this podcast, we're going to talk about mindfulness in Islam. And mindfulness in Islam, and also through through the eyes of the, the Prophet Muhammad. The Prophet Muhammad. And as when the Prophet Muhammad is mentioned in when people of the Islamic faith, uh, one of the statements that has always said, the Prophet Muhammad, may peace be upon him. So isn't that a little bit, isn't that a wonderful thing to say about somebody? Sounds great. May peace be upon him. So if you were talking about your father or your mother or your brother or your sister or a friend and you mentioned to them and say, may peace be upon them, what a loving gesture that is. What a gesture of respect. And Mike, that reminds me of, of, the, of the Buddhist wow. Wishing others well. Wow. 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 Wishing others well. So, and we begin, as, as we begin to explore, we see the commonality among, among all faiths. Okay? Uh, dogma aside and all the rituals, it, it, it basically boils down to a lot of, lot of, lot of the same thing. Mm-hmm. So, wishing others well. And may peace be upon him. Uh, that, I think that's one of them, but it's certainly a beautiful phrase, and for the especially for the prophet. So, one of the things out there, Mike, and we certainly hear a lot of misunderstanding. I did a blog earlier about fear, and fear is something that we truly don't understand. Okay, so one of the thing is the misconception of the Arabic term jihad or struggle. Okay. For some, for some people, it denotes religious fanaticism, military action, and violence. Does it not? 
to some because that's what they see on TV with CNN, you know, uh, that word on on television and those visions Absolutely. of the of the things that that are happening these days. And just as in Christianity or Judaism or Hinduism, uh, words can be taken out of context by followers and perhaps used for their own purposes. Okay, so there are really there are really two types of jihad, Mike. One is described as the lesser jihad, which is can be termed as an outward struggle against the enemies of Islam. However, that what the Prophet was meaning that was self-defense. Okay, and of course. Everyone has the has the right to self defense, especially where this came about was when Genghis Khan was encroaching upon upon the Middle East, was where these which where this truly truly began. Uh, but however, there is the greater jihad, which is mentioned in the Holy Quran, and which is the struggle. It's it's called inner struggle. Jihad in Arabic means inner struggle. And it is the struggle to remove the bonds and the barriers that separate one from connection with a, a higher power or oneself. To me, that sounds like a very, it, it seems relatable to a very Eastern concept of dealing with your inner demons, which can mean alcohol abuse, uh, emotional trauma, mm -hmm. other, other issues like that. Is that right? Mm -hmm. so, what, so what is mindfulness about? Mindfulness is about examination, is it mm -hmm. not? which is the same thing as jihad, which is inner struggle to, to do that self-improvement. The, the term jihad is beautiful when it's, when it's a contemplation. When you're do, using a mindful activity, what in your life is separating you from truly learning about yourself and participating in life of, about you, which in that case involves participating with the, 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 the divine. Okay? So... Uh, one of the persons that I'd like to talk about in this podcast, next to the Quran, the most widely read literature in Islamic culture is by a poet by the name of Rumi. Have you ever heard of uh, Rumi? A whole bunch in our work together, Jim. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> it is the most quoted thing since I've started working in this field with mm -hmm. you, um, or actually before actually meeting you, uh, since you know since then. So, so I don't know much. I just know Rumi's words. I don't know much about the the history of Rumi. Well, Rumi was born in 1207 in present day Afghanistan, and he died in Turkey in uh, in 1273 uh he was the son of a uh islamic uh teacher and mystic and rumi became a mystic he had a uh, meeting and encounter with a sufa a particular individual who who changed his life and one of the key and suf and rumi was more of a a sufi sort of uh, in a muslim mold and one of the key concepts in Rumi's teaching is acceptance and acknowledgement of positive and negative experiences. That's one of the, one of his key concepts. Mike, does this, that sound like an awful lot like taking a non-judgmental stance? Good bit, yeah. Ab absolutely, absolutely. And one of his other concepts was the unlearning of old habits and looking at the world with new eyes. Looking at the world through new eyes. Mike, does that sound like a beginner's mind to you? Certainly. Absolutely. So let me give you a little bit of uh in my own in my own in my own private practice. In my own private practice, uh, my office was just recently renovated, okay? With new carpeting, especially. So this happened about three weeks ago. 
And in the past three weeks, with every person that would come in, I'd ask, and I'd say, oh, I'd say, tell me what's different. Describe to me what's different. And Mike, of all the people that I've that has been in front of me in the last few weeks in that room, only three have noticed the carpeting underneath their feet. I'll often have to say, what's underneath your feet? So how mindful are people of being when they go into a place and they we don't look up, we don't look down, we don't look side to side, we have those blinders on. Absolutely. So what so what we're talking about, we're talking about the attunement of the mind and body through in Islamic culture, through Sufism, is meditation, music, and dance. So and also Rumi was always concerned with the present moment, in the present moment. So one of the his one of his uh, most famous poems, one of the most quoted ones, is the cure for pain is in the pain. Good and bad are mired. If you don't have both, you don't belong to us. When one of us gets lost, it is not here. It must be inside us. Which means that anxiety, pain, and fear, if we don't recognize it, then it dwells in and stays in inside us. So what are what are most mental disorders and unhappiness forged? Where are they forged at? Mike, they're forged by efforts to avoid unpleasant thoughts and to escape from painful memories. Are they not? Right. So that reminds me of dealing with our friend uh, Krishna Panjala and his book that we often referred to called The Pig and the Ape. So what is the ape? Avoiding painful experiences. And what is the pig? Pursuing instant gratification. And many of these things lead to lead to painful, painful memories. Uh, so, however, unlike Western psychology, uh, which teaches thought suppression and thought blocking techniques, uh, in, our, in, in, our, in our mindfulness practices, we learn to accept these things. We learn to acknowledge them and embrace them because they truly are part of us, and unless we do that, we can't deal with them them effectively. Uh, Rumi had another line in a poem um, that truly, I believe, describes a beginner's mind most effectively, and it's close the door of words that the window of your heart may be open. The moon's kiss only comes through an open window. The moon's kiss only comes through an open window. I believe that Rumi certainly was attuned to a beginner's mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what we're doing is we often talk about in our mindfulness practices about the thinker being in control. Do we not? The thinker being in control. Another one of my uh, famous, famous roomy thoughts and roomy quotes is that your thinking is like a camel driver, and you are the camel. It drives you in every direction and under its bitter control. This is, this is roomy talking in the 1200s. Okay. And certainly resonates today. <laughs> yes, most doesn't it? Doesn't it? Which reminds me of what's old is new. There's, there's nothing... There's not everything always changing and fluid. However, 
reminds me of uh, one of our friends, our famous philosophers, uh, mystics, uh, uh, Christian monk, uh, Thomas Merton, who said that our minds are like crows, picking up every shiny object, then sitting in our crowded nest wondering why we're so uncomfortable. Okay, I think uh, I think Merton and uh, I think Merton and uh, Rumi would have got along famously, actually. So uh, in Islam, uh, the Prophet made a prohibition against alcohol. Did he not? Do you know what the Buddha instructed his followers? No, the Buddha instructed his followers not to drink even a drop of alcohol. Mindfulness, discipline, and self-control are lost. So the Buddha and the prophet were on the same wavelength. And so separated uh, culturally and geographically, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So how, so how, different, can, how different can they be, Mike? Not very. How different can they be? So today, Mike, we just scratched a bit of the surface, uh, just dealing with one of the most widely read uh, principal authors, a poet mystic uh, by the name of Rumi. Uh, dealing with a bit of uh, bit of Islamic thought, and I think we touched on the beginner's mind. I think we touched on uh, having the, being the observer behind the thinker, and a bit of uh, how mindfulness perhaps works in Islam. So, in Islam, one of the five tenets of Islam is prayer five times a day. And what can prayer be more than a dedicated, focused meditation? And it not. So our Islamic brothers and sisters, I believe, are a lot more involved in mindfulness than we give, we give folks credit for. So when we approach another faith without fear, without fear, without preconceived notions of what it is, when we have that mind of awareness, I can think that how we all weave, we all weave together. We can all weave together and make a beautiful strand, make a beautiful tapestry of life. And until next time, Mr. Mike, it's so good to be with you. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutfaith.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. Fishing Without Bait is a production of Namaste Holistic Counseling, PC.